I went in, so we're into our second week of, of 2020 of Cease of Sunday, kind of Sunday mornings. And, and I wonder as we've gotten in, like, where are you already? Like, how is 2020 going for you already, right? It's a new year. It's a new decade. Some of you are like, this is like, man, this, this year has been really, the year leading up to this point was really, really tough. And, and leading into 2020, I'm really hoping for movement. I'm hoping for breakthrough. And I wonder for some of you, did, how has it started, right? How has it started? How has it been going? Have you gotten lost in your own mind, in your own frustrations? You're maybe your, your literal already unmet expectations of what the year is supposed to be. Has it been harder than you anticipated? Has it been easier? Have you so far been doing pretty well on the decisions and the resolutions that you made? Are you, are you struggling? Has it been hard? Have you already kind of fallen off the train or fall off the horse? I guess you can fall off a train and a horse, right? Fallen off of something that you're riding to get there, right? It's like, how is it going so far for you? Like, are you living with the, the joy of God's Spirit leading you? Or are you finding yourself not there? Like, I just wonder where you are. And, and I wonder where you are at the question that we started out with last week. And I don't think it's on the screen this week, but I want you to hear it. And the question was simply this, what is Jesus saying about your next year with him? Like, what is Jesus saying about your next year with him? We, we ask this question because we have a strong belief and a confidence that Jesus loves us, that Jesus is for us, and that Jesus has empowered us to partner with him in his ministry on earth, right? So when we ask the question, what is Jesus saying about our next year with him? It's super personal, right? Our relationship with him. What's he saying about our relationship with him? What do you, we, we're confident, right? We were confident of a strong belief that Jesus is for us. So there's things that he's moving in. We also believe there's things that God's called us to do alongside with him in the context of ministry with him, empowered for the things that he's called us to do. And so when we ask this question, what is Jesus saying about your next year? It's personal. It's, it's every day. And it's about then also what he's using us for. Simply stated, God is moving and has invited us to move along with him. God is journeying and he's invited us to journey with him. Therefore, the question I ask, it keeps us focused on the ongoing movement of Jesus in our lives. Because I, you can literally say, what is Jesus saying about your next year? What is Jesus saying about today? And what is Jesus saying about tomorrow? Like we're all, like the idea is that we're staying focused on Jesus in the context of the life that we're living. And last week we then said, all right, there are warnings from John and 1 John Things that we need to be aware of that every generation struggles with that keep us from fulfilling God's call in our life. Like we name these things the lust of the flesh, right? The lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We, we broke each of those down. And then we looked at the life of Daniel. This brief, we looked at the life of Daniel who... Against all odds, odds that we don't face, was, was successful in navigating the obstacles of the culture in which he lived. And he effectively partnered with God in God's movement in this pagan city of Babylon. The idea is if Daniel can succeed, then, then so, so can we. So can we. And so therefore this week I want to talk about 
the grace of God in our lives that makes it possible for us to succeed in moving with Jesus in 2020. Now I'm just simply focusing on success in 2020 because we just started 2020, right? But you can say success in life. How do we have success in life? It's because of the grace of God in our lives. And so, spoiler alert, we succeed only, we succeed only in 2020, we succeed only in life if God's grace is able to move freely in each of our lives. We succeed if God's grace is able to move freely in our lives. Now, let's just say this. We, we don't naturally use the word grace every day in the context of our life, right? Like, we don't, like, think about this week. How often do you use grace in the context of work, right? How often did you use grace as a natural language just in the context of your relationship with your spouse or with your children or with your neighbors? Like, grace isn't necessarily one of those words that we just, it flows off of our tongue all the time in the context of, of, of what we're talking about. So what I find then is that grace primarily then is a, a, a spiritual word or a, a word that we use in the context of spiritual conversations that we have. And when we use it, we're intentional with our use of it, right? We're intentional with our use of it. And so this morning, what I want to do, and I want you to hear this, pay attention right here. I want you to grow very comfortable and very and normalize this understanding of grace. Like I'm going to talk about this morning, and I want you to hear me say, it is not exhaustive. Like this is one of those, I mean, even honestly in theological circles, grace is one of these huge words that people will just go run circles around and around and around. And certain theological streams, man, they put too much emphasis on it, to be honest with you, in my personal opinion. And then lots of people don't put enough emphasis on it. There's all sorts of emphasis depending on where you're working in the context of life. And so I don't under, I don't know where you land exactly, but I'm going to this morning kind of give you my perspective, right? Just kind of leading vintage my perspective and how I engage grace and how I want to invite you to engage grace. And I want to encourage you to go back then and do your own study and your own reading and grow in your own knowledge of what it means. And so historically speaking, the most succinct, this will be on the screen, the most succinct and ageless definition around grace is this. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. Favor, not that one. Grace is unmerited favor. There's another one before that, Will. Grace is unmerited favor. Right? And so in the context, like that's what you always, like when people talk about what is grace in Sunday school growing up, they're like, it's, well, it's unmerited grace. But the problem is this. We don't use the word merit very often, do we? Right? Like it's really, really difficult when we use language to define a word that we don't normally use to use words we don't normally use to define it. Right? And so we talk about unmerited favor. Like, okay, I gotta sit there and figure, what does unmerited actually mean? Right? It makes sense. And so it is the movement of God in every area and stage of life that we have not earned. That's what, it's unearned. So unmerited simply means unearned. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It was favor given to you that you've done nothing to earn. You didn't do anything. God didn't say, oh, you're so special because you did X, Y, or Z. It's just, it's movement of God that you didn't earn. 
And so one person said, this is not on the screen, but as he said this, it is the goodwill on God's part, which not only provides and applies salvation, but blesses, cheers, and assists believers. The goodwill of God, the goodwill of God to provide and apply salvation, to bless and to cheer us up and to assist us, right? Again, it all comes back to this place. So the definition that I use, and this will be the one that we'll put up first, is this. Grace, this is what I use. When I'm talking about grace in my own life, it's this. Grace is the unearned movement of God in every area of life where we need his strength, where we need his ability to do things we can't do in our own strength. The unearned movement of God, not just for salvation. Like you don't need God, you don't need grace just to get saved and then you don't need grace ever again, right? You don't just need unearned movement of God and salvation and then from then on you're on your own, right? The idea is like, no, it's the unearned movement of God in every area of life where we need his strength or ability to do things we can't do in our own strength. So, the picture, and I meant to put this on the screen, I'll have it for the next service, so Brad, remind me. Like, I had this picture, and I apologize, I don't have it for y'all, but I had this picture, that I put this, pulled this picture off of the internet, right, the World Wide Web, right, of this little bitty baby, literally like, I don't know how old he is, but just barely, no, big enough to stand, right, big enough to stand, and, and he's like right at, a, at one of those weightlifting bars with massive weights on both sides that no one in this room, at least I, well, maybe Mark, maybe, right? But like nobody else in this room could actually lift, okay? Like no one else in this room could lift this. And here's this little bitty baby just like this, oh, right? Try, and it's just obviously a joke, right? If they're just playing around. But I looked at this picture and I said, oh my gosh, like this is, this is the nature of how grace works, Right? In the context, could you imagine just seeing a picture of a little bitty baby? This just seems ludicrous. This weight is way too much for him. This is just way too heavy for him. This is insane to think that this small little baby could lift this weight. But all of a sudden, in that moment, right, so either a man or a woman who have strong muscles get on both sides of this bar, and they're like, okay, baby, go ahead and lift. They're like, okay. And all of a sudden he does this, and the bar begins to raise. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is so great, because didn't you do this for your kids? All of you have done this for your kids in some form or fashion. You do something. They're like, oh, my gosh, look what I'm doing. Daddy, look at what I'm doing, Mommy, right? And the idea is you're kind of le- you're kind of lifting it yourself from over here. And that's the idea of what you see. This there's this baby. It's like all of a sudden these two people go on both sides, and they just begin to lift that weight. And then he's like, This is fantastic. I mean the reality is, no, the weight's still too big, but because someone else came along and lifted that weight, it was as if they are doing it together. And that's the picture that I want us to have for grace. The entire morning, if we just press pause, like, what's frustrating you right now? Like, what's overwhelming you? What has no answer or easy answer in your life? What are you struggling with? What is so much you find yourself, says this was, this was too much for me. It was, a, it was, like, I, it was as if it was oppressive to me. Like, what is oppressive? What is too much? What is the weight? What is the thing? And the idea is grace 
Grace is the understanding that there are always in my life these things that are too much, and I need God to get on the other side of that weight and lift it. I'm going to be there. Here we go, God. Ready? Here we go. Ooh, hey, ooh, this is so great. But we all know it wasn't really us. It was Jesus. And in that, we didn't earn it. We're not saying, right, we did, we, we're not earning. We're not doing anything to make it happen. It's really God moving because he's for us. That's the nature of grace. Life is defined by the things God calls us to do, but that we can't do on our own strength. But he comes to empower us to do those things with him. 2020, what is Jesus saying with you next year with him? Whatever it is, his promise is to empower you to do it and succeed, not because you're great, but because he's great and powerful. So, again, just press pause. Like, what I'm trying to get you at this morning is that everything you've decided to do, you're going to fail in apart from God's grace empowering you to make it happen. God's unearned, right, movement in every area of life where you need his strength and ability to lift that weight because you just can't. The greatest prayer we pray to the Lord is, God, I can't. Only you can. It's the greatest prayer we pray. Because what that says is, I'm going to get out of your way and let you do you. So with that in mind, let's look at the important traits of grace in 2020 and 2021, all the way until you until your life ends. The important traits of grace, like an understanding grace, going a little deeper into grace that help us understand it better and honestly, hopefully embrace it more wholeheartedly in every area of our life. Number one, I've already named some of these things. I'm going to dive into the number one. Grace isn't earned. God's movement is unearned, right? That's probably the most important point to remember. You, you have done nothing to deserve it. You can't do anything to earn it. God moves in you and for you because he chooses to because he loves you. Look at this familiar scripture from Ephesians 2, 4, 8 through 2, and 10, verse 4 and 8 through 10. And before we get there, I want you to hear me say, as we look, as we read, I want you to recognize it's specifically talking about the moment of salvation. But we recognize grace is not just grace for salvation. It is grace for my daily salvation from the power and the work of the enemy, right? We're going to dive into that in a second. Ephesians 4, 2. Because of his great love for us, right? That's where we start. God loves us because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. So he loved us. He fought for us. He made us alive when we were opposed to him, right? For it is by grace, verse 8, that you have been saved. It's by grace. His work, his movement, you didn't earn, right? It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Press pause and think about the times in your life where you work harder doing God's stuff because you thought it would cause God to move more in your life. Like you think about it. Like we, what's the phrase, like quid pro quo, man, like that is like all up in our grill in this season of life, isn't it? Like, it's all up in our grill. Everybody's talking about quid pro quo. I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back, right? But how often do we live our spiritual life like this? 
If I go pray harder, oh, I need something from God, so I'm going to go and spend some time with Jesus. I'm going to go and pray, read my Bible, right? I'm going to go to church on Sunday. Like, I, I know people, man, I can just tell you story to story, some difficulties happening in life, right? Their marriage is crumbling. Something's going on, a sickness in their family. And people I've not seen in church in six months all of a sudden show up, right? And I'm hoping it's because they just want to be around community. But the other side of me is a quid pro quo. Like, you want God to move, so you're going to church, And then when they don't get what they want or they do get what they want, you don't see them again. Do you know anybody like that, right? The idea is I can just go work harder, go do the thing that God wants me to do to make him happy so he'll do what I want him to do. Like, do you ever get frustrated? Have you ever said to God, God, I've done X, why didn't you do this? To be honest, it's one of, like, I've got an evangelical church. Man, I would say 50% of people live with this mindset. I just made that number up by the top of my head. Randall hates when I do that, but I think it's true, right? Like, I think it's true. I think that people, they go do the stuff. They go spend time with Jesus. They pray the right prayer. They believe God for the right thing. He doesn't move in the way they want him to move, so they get frustrated, which basically means, God, we did what we thought we should do, and you didn't move the way we anticipated it. Listen, have you ever, listen, have you ever, I mean, this is such an aside, but I want to say it this morning and hear this. It is so interesting to me that John the Baptist did everything he was supposed to do and got confused if Jesus was the one who was to come. All the prophets of old were looking for, and all the Pharisees and the Sadducees were reading the law every day and had an expectation of what Messiah would look like and absolutely missed him. They had a very clear expectation of what the kingdom of God was, and they missed it because they had a wrong view. And so they got frustrated, and they ended up killing Jesus. We crucify Jesus all the time because we have an expectation of what he's supposed to do. We've done our part to make sure it happens. It doesn't happen the way we think it should. And so we get frustrated. We start throwing stones at Jesus because because God didn't move the way he wanted him to. Quid pro quo. And so grace isn't earned, right? In the context of your life, that was such an aside. It didn't really fit in exactly with the message, but I need to go there this morning. I feel like God is saying in this moment, right, in his life, in the life of Jesus, he moves because he loves us. And it's unmerited. It's unearned. And we have to get comfortable with that, even though our culture doesn't work anything like this. You can't receive grace because you were dictated by our culture. Die to culture and learn to grow into understanding grace in the context of the kingdom. Number two, grace is required. In these verses, we see our salvation from sin. We see our salvation from death. We see our salvation from the power of the enemy is the result of God's grace saving us not our work. So grace is required. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself, right? Grace is required. Simply, we can't save ourselves. But here is the deal. As we said last week, the issues of sin, the issues of death, and the issues of the power of the enemy, they're named by John as issues we face every day. They're very real opposition in our spiritual life, which, which affects all of life. Therefore, grace is required every day for our ongoing victory. 
Right? All I said right there was this. It was salvation required God's grace. But I don't know about you, but I'm in need of God's continuing to lift that bore every day in my life because everything going on is too much for me. So his grace is required every moment of every day. And so in the context of your business that you're running, how much do you lean into yourself or do you lean into the grace that's required for your success, for God's success in your business by leaning into him when he's doing things you don't understand? How do you... Do you try to fix your kids or do you lean into Jesus because it's God's grace that's required to bring about growth in your children's lives? You have a part to play. I'm going to get them the bar, but it's ultimately Jesus. Where are you leaning into him? Grace is required every day for our ongoing victory. Here's the problem. Here's the problem or a problem. This is, again, my own opinion here. This is my, my personal conviction, what I've seen in my own life. The great problem I believe that we face for ongoing victory and receiving grace is our own self-sufficiency. Our own self-sufficiency. We think that we can do it. The natural progression of our journey of life is maturity, right? And immaturity leads us to a, a level of self-sufficiency. Our goal for ourselves and our goal for our children is to get us and to get them to a place of providing for themselves, to stand on their own feet, right? To, to, to be an adult. And that's really healthy. That's really, really good, right? Each of us know people who just don't do adulting well, right? We're like, they just need to grow up. And so it's good and it's right to have a level of maturity. It's good and it's right to have a level of self-sufficiency. Spiritually speaking, there's also a place of healthy self-sufficiency where we're confident in our own relationship with Jesus, our own ability to hear God's voice, our own ability to walk with him. We're not having to lean on somebody else and trust somebody else's spirituality, right? Like it's good and it's right to have our own place of confidence in our relationship with Jesus. But self-sufficiency goes awry. When we stop leaning into Jesus' strength for all of our life issues and try to lean into our own strength, our own wisdom, and our own knowledge and our own ability. Like you could go back and read again and again all the kings of the Old Testament. Go read First and Second Chronicles or First and Second Kings, right? They're telling the same story once it's more succinct than the other. Go read their stories. Go read. The story of Asa, man who was submitted to God, leaned into God, trusted God in his early age. But as he grew in wisdom, as he grew in his own self-confidence, <coughs> he gets to the point end of life where he literally gets diseased in his feet. And it says even in his old age, he would not turn to God he would just trust the physicians of the day. Like, I don't know about you, but when I, <clears throat> I never forget reading that story of that water, Randall. I can never forget when I was a kid, first time I ever read that. I mean, I was like, I was in high school. And I remember reading it, and I got it. Like, I understood it. Like, it's in a big sense. Wow, Asa had a season of life where he very much trusted in the grace of God. He very, very much trusted in the strength of God versus his own. But as he got older and he grew in his own abilities 
and he grew in greater knowledge, and he grew in greater wisdom, and he grew in his leadership skills, and he grew having a greater authority in the context of his power and understanding it, he stopped trusting God, and he leaned into his own strength, and he died failing. The natural progression of our life is self-sufficiency. I believe it is the great assault on our trusting and leaning into God's grace. Partially, let's just be really honest, I'm just, this is one statement, because God doesn't move as fast as you want him to. Right? God rarely moves as fast as we want him to. And so we have to then trust his timing. That's super, super hard. So here's the thing. Again, I'll say it again. It was God's grace that saved us from sin and death and salvation. It is still God's grace that saves us from falling into sin and the power of death today. If grace is required once, if grace is required once, then it's required always. If it's required once, it's salvation. Scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, recognizing salvation is something every day that we're dying to self, living for God, dying to self, living for God, dying to self. I mean, the enemies, the, Satan said he looked for a more opportune time to come back and to tempt Jesus after he didn't have success in the wilderness, which means that somewhere along the way, Satan came back to tempt Jesus again, to put opposition in front of him, right? And in a sense, Jesus had to be saved again from the work of the enemy in that moment. I mean, if he's salvation, like, there's a moment of, you know what I'm getting at, salvation to go to, to, to enter into relationship with Jesus, but then salvation every day from the same things that hinder us from becoming Christ-like, right? And, we're a, and like, here's the deal, you don't just get saved because you need Jesus, and then you do life in your own strength. No, every day he's saying, if you required it once, then you require Jesus every time to lift that weight because you can never do it in your own strength. So number three then is this, God's grace is sufficient, and that's what we don't believe. God's grace is sufficient. Listen, if human beings are insufficient in saving themselves, empowering themselves, succeeding by themselves, then grace tells us that God is sufficient, and I would say that he's more than sufficient. Look at these familiar words from Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. One of the most probably talked about probably the most misunderstood scriptures because no one quite knows what exactly Paul is talking about. He never defines it. You ask 10 theologians, you'll get 10 different answers of what Paul is talking about here. But the heartbeat behind his message is clear and we'll see it. He says, Paul says this, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, right? Self-sufficient, trusting self, I was given a thorn in my flesh. We have no idea what that was. No idea. No one told us. Paul didn't tell us. Scripture is silent. Anything that you say is just made up by a human being trying to figure out what it could be, right? It was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I have no idea. 
If I went around, y'all of you been in church, it looks like for a good long while, you all have an opinion of probably what this is. And probably you're wrong, right? Because there was only one thing that it could have been. It wasn't a myriad of things. We have a myriad of answers. That means we have a myriad of wrong answers, right? It's like we have no earthly idea. But in this, what I want you to see, verse 7 and 8, Paul is facing something that was, and this is Paul the Apostle. Like, this is Paul the Apostle. Paul was facing something that was too much for him to bear in his own strength. He was standing at that bar and he could not lift it. And but what do we see here? Verse nine, God says, hey, my grace, my unearned, right? My unearned favor, my unearned movement in your life is enough to empower you in that, right? In fact, in the verse made famous by Tim Tebow, Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Have you ever read that in context? It has nothing to do with running. It has nothing to do with playing football, right? Literally nothing to do with football. It's important to know, right? In the preceding verses, Paul says he learned the secret of being content at all times. What he's talking about in context is opposition, right? In times of plenty, in oppositions, in times of need. He's saying in the context of everything going on in my life, whether it was a good season or a bad season, good seasons when I could get completely disillusioned and forget what's going on in my life because things are going so well, in the times of hardship I get disillusioned and just focus on myself and just navel gaze and complain and grumble all day long like a child, right? In, in both as I said, the secret of living with joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness is Jesus strengthening me, a.k.a. grace. What's the secret? It's grace. God's sufficiency. Right? God's sufficiency. In all circumstances, Paul is aware of his need for God's grace because it is always sufficient no matter what is going on. Life for Paul was focused on his need for and confidence in God's grace. And the last thing is God's grace flows freely in our humility. God's grace flows freely in our humility. In light of this, Andrew Murray once said, this is on the screen, Humility. Humility is the only soil in which grace is rooted. The lack of humility, it's the sufficient explanation of every defect and every failure. Like, you see how I'm like drinking water? It's like really deep moments. It's so great. Should have said it. Should have said it with a deeper voice to make it more profound. Humility, I'll read it again, is the only soil in which this grace we're talking about is rooted. The lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defect and every failure. We can't do anything to earn God's grace, but our humility allows God's given grace to flow without obstacles in our lives. I'll say it again. Like, God, God, we can't even earn God's grace, but... When grace is given, the humility of saying, not me, but you, allows grace to flow without obstacles in our life. I mean, you've heard these verses, you've quoted them, James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, tell us, 
that God gives grace to the humble, but he is opposed to the proud. Like, you know every single one of us in this room is filled with pride, right? Like every single one of us. That's not just for the less spiritual. I mean, the most spiritual, the Pharisees. Like, I don't know if you've ever studied, again, pressing Paul. I don't know if you've ever studied the life of the Pharisees. But we would have been Pharisees. They were awesome. Like, go read the history. Like, literally read the actual history of the Pharisees and the things that they said. Like, we throw stones at them today because they were so rude and mean to Jesus. But, like, we literally spent, in, in seminary, we spent, like, four hours one day just reading through the life of the Pharisees and the things that they said. They were zealous. They were pious. They were super religious. They were, they were actually, like, they were, they were super conservative. They fought for the Old Testament. They fought for the Scriptures. They fought for the actual work of the Holy Spirit. They fought for a second coming that would come after the first coming. They fought for all of these things that we believe in. The Pharisees, man, they were awesome. Except they were blinded to Jesus because he offended them because he didn't look anything like they expected him to look. They missed him because of their very clear and limited expectations of what he was supposed to look like, right? They couldn't humble themselves. All of us have little Pharisees running around inside of us, right? Again, pride is self-sufficiency. Pride is self-sufficiency in action, and humility is God's sufficiency in action. Pride of self-sufficiency in action. Asa, I can do this myself. I know what I'm doing. I've got this. I don't, I don't I've got this. I've got this. Humility is God's sufficiency. God, I could probably do something, but really I need you. How do you handle difficult circumstances in life? When you stand at that weight, do you simply work harder or do you lean heavily into Jesus? We have been, we have been raised in an American culture which says, just work harder. And work harder is not always and fully a kingdom principle. Martha was working harder and Jesus told her to stop because she was actually opposed to his will. Mary, who was doing nothing, sitting at his feet and just looking at him, was walking in step with him. Now, I'm not saying it's okay to be lazy. I'm not saying that hard work is bad because you can make the same argument. All I'm saying is this. There's a time to work and a time to rest. There's a season for everything. You all grew up listening to the birds. Turn, turn, turn. Right? There is a season turn. Right? It's like it's in Scripture. It's in the Bible. It's a season for all things. I want to look at Paul's expression of humility. Maybe you've never seen it this way in 1 Corinthians 2. I always, again, this is one of those like benchmark Scriptures for me from high school and college that God always uses in my life when I think about doing ministry and the power of ministry and stuff that I'm doing says this, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. 
My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Like, do you see, do you see the message of humility here? Do you see the message of grace linked into this? Listen, I could have come with eloquent words. Like, do you know that just before he came to Corinth, he had just spent some time in the Areopagus and preached one of the greatest, like what theologians say is the greatest sermon he'd ever preached, and it wasn't that successful? And so when he came, some people will say he was on a boat literally processing how ineffective he had just been. Now, I'm not sure this is true, but some theologians say they were just processing. He was processing how ineffective that he had just been. So he came to them, and maybe that's why he came with fear and trembling. Maybe he heard what was going on in Corinth and recognized it was too much for him. to. I have no idea what's going on. But something in the heart of Paul had an awakening moment of saying, my gosh, if I go in my own power, I'm going to fail in Corinth. I'm going to fail God in Corinth. I have to get out of the way. I have to let God. I'm going to resolve to know nothing while I'm with them except for Jesus. I'm going to let him, I'm going to exalt Jesus. I'm going to let his, his power move and not me make much of myself. Like it's why, personally, again, it's why I struggle with people who stand on stages with microphones and lights and start doing all this stuff and like doing things and like and make, and like they're just like making much of self rather than glorifying Jesus. I have attention, right? I'm not saying their heart's always impure, but I always look at it and go, can you just get out of the way so that Jesus can be exalted? Paul exalted Jesus, lowered himself, and God's grace flowed mightily in Corinth. Mightily. All the gifts of the Spirit were being expressed in Corinth. He recognized his need for grace. Again, what was grace? And Will, I want you to go back to the second slide at the very, very beginning. What is grace? It is the unearned movement of God in every area of life where we need his strength or ability to do things we can't do in our own strength. Have we, have we realized this morning that there is really actually very little in life that you're capable of doing apart from Jesus that has value, that has kingdom worth? Do you recognize, hear this, I want you all to hear this. Do you recognize it is a gift of God to put a weight before you that you can't lift and that causes you to grow frustrated? Frustration is a gift from Jesus because it's him letting you know you can't and you need to get out of the way because you try to rely on your strength way too much. When I get to a point of frustration, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. That's you. I got it. Let me get out of the way. Go ahead and lift the weight. Let's do it together. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to, I'm, you know what I'm going to do. It's like, I'm going to do it. Here we go. Yep, there it goes, Jesus. You did it, right? It's one month, two months, three months, six months, year, years in prayer or something. It's unearned. Which brings us back to 2020. What is Jesus saying about your next year with him? What's he saying on a personal level? What's he saying on a kingdom-wide level? No matter what it is, no matter how big or small it may seem, it's only possible because of God's grace. The good news is this. You can't earn it. It is sufficient, and it's available for those. It's available. It's available to all of us, and those who choose humility as a lifestyle, it's able to flow freely. You can do anything 
You can do anything that God calls you to do through his grace, his ability, his power, the movement of his spirit, right? That's what he does. This morning as we end, I want to just give a, just a quick shout out as we start into our small groups, right? We ran along and be doing emotionally healthy spirituality. We did it as a staff. Excuse me, we did it as a, as a church several years ago. In fact, while I was on my sabbatical, I reread most of the book. That's the most, it's probably the most profound book I've read for my own personal spiritual life, uh, my entire life, right? And so we, we believe the thing I love about it is from a pastor who's sound, who, who his experience in life is similar to mine, filled with God's spirit, right? Seeing all these things happen, but he's like recognized in my own life, my spiritual depth is dependent upon who I am as a human being from broken places in my life. He says, I had these emotional, broken emotional areas in my life from rejection, from things from family of origin, these things that have been obstacles in my life. And I kept on like, why am I not growing? Why not having breakthrough? Why am I always wrestling with the same things over and over and over again? What is this? He says, because I was the mirror as emotionally, as a human being, I was just at these broken places that were affecting me emotionally, and my emotional affects everything in my life. And so it's this, this, the book is about his journey to emotional health so he could be spiritually deep. I don't know if you know people who, like, they know the Bible and they pray for healing and they're always angry or they're always depressed. You're like, what's going on? Because there's broken places from their past that are hindering them from being God's best today. And God wants to bring breakthrough so he can move them into fullness. And so on our Wednesday nights, we're going to be doing this. And I invite you to come. Anyone's welcome. If you have children, again, the blaze is happening. They're discipling your children at the same time. I'd love to invite you if you're a single person, as in like just your spouse can't come or it's just you without a spouse. Great. We'll put you into a group. It's going to be a good time. We believe God's going to move in this season. If you don't have a group to plug into, we'd love you to come be a part of our group on Wednesday night. Because we do believe as we dive into God for healing and restoration, there is grace for healing. There is grace for breakthrough. There is grace to move into wholeness. There is grace as an answers for tough questions. There is grace available. Never forget that Wesley at Georgia one time. I'm sitting there on I'm sitting there on a Wednesday night and God just speaks says, There is grace available for healing tonight. I grabbed Tom Tanner and said, Man, there's grace for healing tonight. He says, Fantastic. Go to the altar, tell people about it. And I did, and people came forward and we began to pray for them, and there was like breakthrough. There was this grace available for breakthrough. In this season, our belief in 2020 is that there are some of you who like you just do this with Jesus. It's a big circle, right? I believe that God wants to get us off that rat wheel so we can actually then get in the journey with him into living in the fullness of his grace that he has in us and through us. So, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence with us. And Lord, we are aware, God, this morning of our, of our need for you. Father, grace is a very, very big attribute. We just touched the surface of it. It's so much deeper than what I said this morning. And so many greater things that could be said about it. And I just thank you, there. I thank you God, it's that rich and that deep. But, Father, I thank you that we don't have to understand it fully to experience it fully in our lives. 
I thank you that it's a gift. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of your Holy Spirit. It's, it's your movement. And so this morning, Jesus, I pray in this moment of unearned favor from you. I pray that you would convict each of us, God, of areas in our life, Lord, that we've allowed self-sufficiency to raise up inside of us and to miss you. God, areas where we try to lift this weight and God, we just live frustrated, just kind of live in this con- place of frustration. God, we, we have to give up. We have to give up and say, God, I, I just can't do it. God, it requires you to lift the weight. And I thank you for your grace that in your perfect timing you do it. So I pray this morning for each person, Lord, just as they acknowledge this morning these weights in their life, relationally, personally, and emotionally inside of them. These things, God, they just want kind of coming up against. God, like a, it's like a wall they keep on hitting, like a ceiling, like glass ceiling that God they just keep on bumping into. I pray for breakthrough this morning. Thank you that there's grace available for breakthrough. There's grace available for salvation. There's grace available for healing. There's grace available for restoration. Grace is available. So come, Holy Spirit, this morning. Quiet us before you convict us, God. God, we are little Pharisees running around. I thank you that. God, there were Pharisees that recognized their Pharisaism and they turned to you. Thank you for the story of Nicodemus. Make us like Nicodemus. Turn. Follow you all the days of our life. This morning, I just sense God is doing a work of quieting our our hearts before him. Quieting is like there's this, we've been going through life and it's like there's these voices screaming or it's as if we're kind of running in circles trying to put out little fires around us we're like ah it's just so much and it's like God is saying just, just be still just be still I'm going to let you slow down for a minute I say, I'm going to let you slow down as a lifestyle I'm going to let you slow down I have to slow down watch me put this fire Hey, you want to come help me? Come grab the back of the hose. We'll do it together. Thank you, Lord. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you can do this morning? Minister deeply into our hearts. So here's what we do this morning. We're going to have ministry teams available on both sides. And there are also trained ministry teams, people who are actually sitting out here. So here's what I want to do. If you're a part of the ministry team this morning, I need you to hear me. Um, if you've literally been trained for the ministry team. If there are people this morning, I invite you just to be praying. If there are people this morning, God would have you go to. I'm asking specifically ministry teams, go to people you don't know. I think we, we feel so comfortable with what we do know. We focus on them. And there are people outside of, who don't know anyone who need ministry. So I'm going to ask that you not pray for people this morning that you know super well. All right? 
pray for people that you don't know well. So I'm invite. So for the court says, if you're coming to the front to pray, if you're a ministry team this morning, then you just pray for people who come to you. If you're part of the ministry team this morning and you um, are not on the team, like as in like scheduled to pray, then I want you to pray that God would give you ministry or word for someone here, and you go and find them and you pray for them. Uh, ask, I was going to ask permission to do that before you do it. We'll have uh, offering baskets available here, giving kiosk outside, and it's a giving box right here. Uh, I want to invite you this morning, just to, like 2020 is a year of releasing all things to Jesus. And the tithe and offering is about us weekly, daily, releasing our finances back to God and trusting him with them. That if we're faithful to give, that we know that he promises to provide for all of our needs. And so for some of you in 2020, it's a year of getting right financially, of saying, God, I trust you more than I trust myself. I trust you in my need more than trusting myself in plenty. So, God, I'm going to be faithful to give, even though it's sacrificial, but I thank you that you promised to provide for my needs. And so for some of you this morning and this year, giving a tithe and offering is a real call from the Lord of faithfulness and of trusting his grace. To provide for you. We'll have communion available. It is the picture of grace. When you didn't earn it, Jesus died for you. And we celebrate that knowing that that fact of being saved yesterday is true through grace. But we're also saved again and again and again. So grace is available today. That's what we celebrate as we take communion. Let's let God do a deep work in our hearts this morning. You respond to the Lord leads ministry teams. You can go ahead and come forward.